From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Monday, August 15th. Stakeholders along the Colorado River are trying to figure out how to drastically cut their use of water and fast. In June, the Department of the Interior told states that use the river's water, they had to save two to four million acre feet. And they had to do it in only two months. Now, tribes are asking for a bigger say in the negotiations over how to do it. They are senior water rights holders along the Colorado, but they have historically been left out of decision-making around it. Deborah Kroll reports that may be starting to change. Kroll covers Indigenous affairs for the Arizona Republic and spoke with Lauren Gilger with our partners at KJZZ. Well, if you look at both the upper and lower basin, currently tribes are entitled about 20% of the entire flow. Here in Arizona, once all of the the tribes have their water settlements said and done, that's more like north of 40%. Right, right. But at the same time that they hold this kind of control over Colorado River water, they have historically been kept out of conversations about how we use it, and, and particularly now about how we conserve it as we face this ongoing drought, right? Oh, yeah. If you go back to the 1922 Colorado River Compact, despite the fact that some of the tribes along the Colorado River, such as Colorado River Indian tribes, Fort Mojave Indian tribe, Quetzon, had all had their their water allocated as early as 1865, they were left totally out of the discussions. Um, There was only one small mention about, well, reserve rights for tribes are still there. Between that and the fact that that settlers came in and started taking water away from the original first users. And as we all know, the, the law of the river starts with first in time, first in use. Tribes should really and really are the senior water rights holders. But you write about how this is sort of shifting and tribes are now being included in these conversations. You were at this uh, Las Vegas conference of the Colorado River Water Users Association where the tribal leaders were, you know, right there with the other stakeholders. Tell us about that. You can see a shift in how the water experts known collectively as the water buffaloes Hmm. um, regard and work with tribes. It used to be that tribes had their own special little, little sessions and everybody else had their sessions and nobody really talked to each other. This time the tribes were right there at the front table with other senior water managers. They signed the compact to allocate 500,000 acre feet of their own water to help shore up Lake Mead because as Governor Stephen Rowe Lewis and Crit Chairwoman Amelia Flores said that we're basically all in this together. So we're all going to conserve water together or we're all going to run out of water together is basically what they were saying. So this is kind of a turning point that that people are finally starting to realize that tribes can and should and should have always had that equal seat at the table. And this is an important moment for there to be a turning point, right? Because we are, we we have to cut Colorado River shares. Parties have essentially been ordered to, right? Yes, the um, Bureau of Reclamation has ordered the seven states along the two basins. We're lower basin states, Arizona, California, and Nevada. 
they are going to have to make significant cuts to their Colorado River allocation, as are the upper basin states. So this is all coming together really fast, that people are going to have to realize they're going to have to get along without without as much water as they used to before. And the tribes are in agreement with this. And in order for everyone to get through this, everyone everyone is going to have to work together. And and with the kind of senior shares that tribes hold, what kind of impact can they have in terms of, of reducing our use of water? Well, legally, they could just say, I'm taking my share and, and the heck with you guys. Right. But they're not because they know what it's like to be without water. And their prosperity is tied to the prosperity of the entire state. And so they're willing to work with their non-tribal neighbors to make sure everybody at least has some water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I know in particular, I've, I've had Crit Chairwoman Amelia Flores on the show talking about their efforts to lease water and following some of their fields, using less, finding ways to farm less thirsty crops, things like that. What are some of the moves tribes are already making to do this? Well, with Crit and Fort Mojave in particular, they are actually using cutting edge methods of, of irrigation, the, the, the fields that they are irrigating. Yeah. They've imported technology over from Israel, which is like a world leader in water conservation. And they followed some fields. There are also some movement toward rebuilding a lot of the old infrastructure that was originally built for them by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. A lot of that infrastructure is old and cracking and failing. So they need to to do a lot of rebuilding to make sure that water is getting to where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to end, Deb, by asking you a little bit about the very different approach that tribes take to water. You write that they won't just focus on water as a commodity. And the history, of course, of tribes and the Colorado River in this region goes back millennia. Tell us about that and the effect that that different approach could have here. Well, the tribes here in the Southwest, like like basically all indigenous peoples here in the Americas, consider water as essential to life. So it's not just something to be bought and sold. It's it's a sacred commodity. And it's not commodity as in capitalist commodity. It's a sacred, essential part of life. So every tribe has some sort of, of statement in their language. Water is life. And they realize that if we don't have any water, then nothing's going to live here. And so they look at that from a holistic standpoint rather than just a capitalistic standpoint. And that philosophy may well be what helps carry us through this drought. Reporter Deborah Kroll speaking with KJZZ's Lauren Gilger about her new multimedia piece in the Arizona Republic. It focuses on tribes who are demanding equal say in decision-making around the Colorado River, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and some states in our region are moving to ban abortion, some young women are more seriously considering permanent solutions to birth control. Ivana Martinez, with our partners at KUER, has more. At 36 years old, Sarah Reyes knows she doesn't want children. She's already on birth control. But with the fall of Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court's suggestion that contraceptives could be next, she's thinking of getting her tubes tied. I'm thinking about it all the time now. 
and it's frightening because it's like, well, what, you know, I, I take the depo shot every quarter. And so I'm like, well, is that something that they would come after? Some Utah OBGYNs say they're seeing more young women seeking out sterilization to prevent unwanted pregnancy. Erica Fryer is a 27-year-old mother of two from Kearns. After facing health complications in both of her pregnancies, she knows she won't have more kids. Fryer is planning to talk to her doctor next week about getting her tubes tied. I mean, I haven't even thought of getting a hysterectomy, just fully, just getting everything taken out. But it's something that I am seriously going to discuss with my doctor. And with Roe v. Wade turning, I, I just can't risk that. I can't, I can't risk it with my two kids and my husband. But even when providers are willing to perform these kind of procedures on young women, there's still legal hoops to jump through. Ivana Martinez, KUER News. Ivana Martinez reporting with our partners at KUER. And that's the KZMU News for Monday, August 15th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.